I'm Rihanna, and welcome or welcome back to Fresh Off the Broke. Fresh Off the Broke is about personal experiences growing up Asian American in a predominantly white community, Asian media, and Asian pop culture in general. Race has always been a sensitive topic. Every day, there's a debate over race. With our podcast, we intend to shed light on the experiences of first-generation Asian immigrants, not put them on a pedestal. We understand that race isn't everything, but there should be an acknowledgement of people of color, the knowledge gap, and the racial divide that will ideally be broken. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into the episode. Today's topic is imposter syndrome. Now, why are we talking about imposter syndrome? Well, it's about August-ish, September-ish, you know. It's about school time. Oh, and <laughs> It's coming back. <laughs> back to school season. And, you know, when you start school, maybe you're starting university, grad school, maybe you're wrapping up a summer job or an internship, or you're about to start a fall internship, or, you know, just new things. And during those times of life, sometimes people, some more than others, which we'll get into, will experience something called imposter syndrome, where they feel as though they don't deserve their achievements or they don't deserve to be in the space that they so earn to be in, which is why it's called imposter syndrome, because you feel like an imposter. You feel like you somehow faked your way there, somehow just got in and no one knows that you're secretly a fraud. Yeah, a fake. Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome was actually first introduced by psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Amont Imes in 1978 and first mentions in a Georgia State University study, The Imposter Phenomenon in High-Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention. Yes, and the whole point of this episode today is to highlight the imposter syndrome that women, specifically women of color face, as you know, Rihanna and I are both women of color. Mm -hmm. And also women of color are, and we'll talk about this in more specific terms and numbers in a moment, but they are much more likely to experience imposter syndrome because of the already limited spot that exists for them in successful positions, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Now that you have the background information, let's get into the numbers. Yes. <laughs> so first, I'm going to start off with more specific numbers in terms of the imposter syndrome that women face, because it's, in a sense, that's where it starts, because, you know, as we've mentioned in past episodes and also as it's been established by quote-unquote society, there is a discrepancy between uh, men and women in the workplace, in basically every field. (laughs) And so due to, like I said before, the limited spots that exist for women of color and um, jatantly women, there that leads to imposter syndrome because people feel, oh, well, there's already limited spots. Maybe it should have gone to someone more qualified or someone that's better than me because I'm not good enough for that. And so I have two statistics here from a KPMG study, the first one being that 75% of executive women identified having experienced imposter syndrome at various points during their careers. Now, executive women, the context of this study is very much in a business sense, a business workplace in the corporate world. And so when you think of executive women, you can think of, you know, maybe a president, a manager of some sort, a board member, and so on. And along with that, six in 10 executive women told the conductors of the study that promotions or transitions to new roles were the time that they most experienced imposter syndrome. And that plays into what I said earlier, excuse me, where when someone is starting a new stage in their life, that focuses on a promotion, for example, when you're going into grad school or something, 
that it's more competitive that you have to sign up for, you have to work towards, it's very easy to feel imposter syndrome because once you get it, you feel, well, I guess it's easy because I got it. Focusing on the families of people who experience imposter syndrome, there are actually like some studies done on similar characteristics or common characteristics of quote-unquote imposters' families. And mm-hmm. from a 1985 study by, done by Clance, they realized that um, common characteristics of these families include priority of intelligence and success, lack of positive reinforcement, disparity between feedback received from the family versus feedback received from the outside world, and perceptions of imposters that their interests and talents deviate from their family's interests and talents. I can already kind of relate, and we haven't even gotten into our own personal experiences yet, so (laughs) we'll we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Yeah, with this, the point of having the studies is to have more concrete black and white information that's been done by people in the field of psychology and whatnot, because we can share our own experiences, but our experience deviates from other people's experience. Yeah. And so having numbers or in a more generalized manner, common trait, it's easier for people to decide whether or not they do identify with that. Because you and I could, and we will, go into our journey or how we feel about imposter syndrome but that is just us like not not to be all deep about it but you know every individual person has their own very individual experiences even if it contains common traits with other people Mm -hmm. or it reflects some trope so similar to common characteristics, there is an adolescent adult parenting inventory, also known as AAPI, <laughs> created by We love that. <laughs> yeah. Created by Bavolik in 1984 that contains four subscales. And these subscales are commonly found in the parents of imposters. So they include role reversal, which children are obligated to comfort and care for their parents instead of their parents doing it for them. Hashtag filial piety. Yes. Um, the next one is empathy, or rather a lack of empathy towards the child's feelings. The third, inappropriate yes. developmental expectations. And the last one is corporal punishment. So an example would be the use of spanking. <laughs> and this, like, they found that Asian American mothers compared to European-American mothers, used all four more. Mm -hmm. Like you started off, these reflect and relate a lot to the first four that you were already talking about. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, lack of positive reinforcement, empathy, or rather a lack of empathy towards the child's feeling. They all connect. Yeah. Reminds me of that, <laughs> you know, that meme of the astronaut, the two astronauts in the moon. Like, so it was this all along. <laughs> always always has been. been. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll throw that up there for you. Oh, God. The, <laughs> the, the YouTube audience to see. Yeah, I'm going to do that. So there will be a picture on the screen right now, if you're watching on the YouTube version, and it is this very complex graph chart flow chart i'm guessing and this is done by clance in 1985 again and it's called the imposter cycle so to describe it it starts off with imposters are first assigned to an achievement related task and that leads to anxiety self-doubt and or worry then imposters either over prepare or procrastinate on the task once the task is completed they will feel a temporary burst of relief Meanwhile, discounting any positive feedback by attributing their success to effort or luck, the feeling of relief dissipates eventually, 
and imposters will begin to feel like frauds. They'll doubt themselves and may begin to feel depressed or anxious. (laughs) I think it's funny that you stumbled on that word. Yeah. Not to be that person. (laughs) And then the cycle repeats. That makes sense. I've seen that a lot. Yeah. I, and we'll get into this in the personal experience section. I don't personally relate to the two over preparation or procrastination, but I've seen that a lot because they say it comes with perfectionism that Mm -hmm. you will procrastinate because you're afraid that you're not going to execute it the way you wanted to. And then there's the other side of that where because you're a perfectionist, you will overly prepare Mm -hmm. by preparing all these things that you don't need or you might not actually have to think about. What about you? Have you seen that? I mean, that pretty much describes me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. I mean, even that's an even closer look, you know? Yeah. A little too close, if I do (laughs) so. Too close to home. Yeah. But that's what this is all about, people. Come on. (laughs) So comment down below if you relate. (laughs) Don't we all even a little bit? Maybe we don't. <laughs> Comment that. I mean, we don't We don't know who's listening. What if someone, the very privileged, cis-hem white guy listening? Which, I mean, thank you for listening. How do you feel? What's it like being here? Thanks. I don't know why my brain just immediately showed me Ben Shapiro. <laughs> I will not comment on that. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> yeah, if you if you know Ben Shapiro, you know Ben Shapiro. If you don't know Ben Shapiro, then that's all right. I don't you don't have to know who he is. <laughs> and Ben Shapiro, if you're listening, I'm moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. So again, in connection to the last topic, I have a study conducted on New York City students, specifically Asian female students, is conducted in New York, but it's conducted by a Korean university, specifically Daegu University. And it is on the impact of COVID-19 on students' perception of imposter syndrome, colon, an exploratory study applied to high achieving Asian female high school students in New York City. Now, I think this makes a lot of sense because if when people think of New York, or similar cities, they think of the hustle, the grind, because you have Fifth Avenue, Fortune 500 Company. Oh, man. Wall Street. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And so it makes a lot of sense that when you think of New York, you think of hustling, the hustle and bustle, grind culture. (laughs) And with the Asian identity, you have the model minority myth, which of course doesn't only apply to Asian people, but that's the lens we're using right now. And then we have high school students, which are very often anxious, agitated, you know, nervous for what's next to come in life. Mm -hmm. And then you have the female identity, which ties into the earlier female imposter syndrome because of the limited spots that exist for them. And so, uh, one last note, the high achieving students, they were split into two groups, one where they came from specialized school, so that could be a science school, a math school, or just a STEM school, or I, they didn't really mention anything about art, so I'm assuming that the high achieving specialized schools probably wouldn't fall into the art category, because People typically associate being smart with STEM. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think that way, but I feel like that's probably where the study is going. And then the other half, they came from regular schools, so schools that either didn't have a specialized program or these students weren't in the specialized program. And their criteria for high achieving would be having above a 3.8 GPA which if you don't know what a GPA is, it's a grading system in America that's out of four or five if you're in 
AP or whatnot, where four is basically an A, and then one is the lowest, you know, like an F or a D or something. Yeah, it's a D. And so I'm going to have this up on the screen. Right off the bat with imposter syndrome, the average, so it's out of a five point system. It's kind of like previous episodes we've done where we talked about studies. The five point system is basically, you know, strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, things like that. And so from the base of imposter syndrome, you can see student self-image plus students' confidence, family value on education. The average or basically the total from that is 3.59 out of five. So basically almost a four. You can see that imposter syndrome has a significant impact on these three very important or very big aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, or I guess you can't if you're if you're only listening. Yeah. I apologize for my not very inclusive figure of speech. But basically, the majority said that COVID either strengthens the feeling of imposter syndrome in terms of the self-image, confidence, family value of education, or it stayed the same. The average there, 40.63% said that COVID enhanced these things, well, enhanced in a negative way, and 45.54% said that it basically stayed the same. And very few people said that COVID weakened the imposter syndrome in their life. It's about 11.16%. And the lowest percentage there, if we're going back into specifics, students' confidence, only 8.33 people said that, no, 8.33%, not <laughs> 8.33 people. People. 8.33% of the group said that COVID-19 weakened the sense of imposter syndrome in terms of their confidence in themselves. And so you can see that COVID-19 very much impacted these people more towards the strong negative side. Mm. And I mean, Rihanna and I can relate to this. I would say I probably fall in the state the same slightly stronger area because school in its own I had some rather difficult teachers difficult in the sense that they weren't very good (laughs) Good. I'm trying trying to be nice (laughs) no sure they don't deserve it (laughs) they of course teachers they also had to make a switch with COVID but the teachers that I had they didn't seem to put the effort into adapting the core or Or even just emphasizing yeah 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 and so for that I would say my self-image confidence stayed the same because I had to work towards every grade or I had to self-teach myself practically everything in the course or the courses but in terms of signing up for something or applying for something I would say COVID enhanced my imposter syndrome a little bit only because of course and we've talked about this before COVID affects people very differently depending on, you know, like your socioeconomic background or your background in general. Because some people, and we mentioned this in the gentrification episode, with COVID, they could go off to a very nice cottage home or a holiday home mm-hmm. and camp out there. Treat it and like some, vacation. Yes, yeah, and some people can't. And so some people during COVID, they had the privilege of going here or doing this and being able to invest their time in this but some people you know maybe their family fell ill and so they didn't have the time or the same opportunity to pursue some type of hobby or some type of self-developmental thing 
And so when you apply for maybe a scholarship or something, even though you yourself work very hard, you may feel underqualified because you didn't have those same exact opportunity. Then you feel like those people automatically are better or higher up than you in the ranking. Mm -hmm. That's how yeah, I feel like there was also this feeling of like if you maybe got a job opportunity or any any sort of like hiring process or like winning something type thing I feel like maybe maybe it's just me but I I, I know some friends feel the same way about it um it's mm -hmm. the feeling of oh I only got it because there's COVID right now like if we weren't mm -hmm. in a literal pandemic right now and under like normal circumstances, I would not have gotten this opportunity type thing. Mm -hmm. I've, I've felt that before. And it's complicated because it's not untrue that some people got certain things because of COVID. For example, I personally, and I'm not, when I say I personally, I don't mean like Rihanna could never have the same experience as me. This is just me not wanting to talk for Rihanna. For, for me personally, I had some difficult teachers, but some people, they had extremely lenient or basically bird course-like teachers where, say you're in an English class, and rather than closely reading your essay, the teacher saw it and then just gave everyone 100, which is something that happened. I, I know that happened to some people I know. I saw it on the internet of course it's not every single english teacher my english teacher wasn't like that yeah but it's important to note that there are certain occurrences or privileges that come with uh, i don't know like certain school experiences of covid because for some people literally if there wasn't covid then that wouldn't have happened for them their teacher wouldn't have I don't know, tapped out and then just gave everyone a hundred because they didn't feel like grading properly. Grading or looking into it for whatever reason. It could be yeah. a personal reason. It could just be I don't care. Yeah. You know? So I felt like that was something important to know. Mm. Now we can talk about our own experiences. Personally, when I was younger, I did not experience imposter syndrome but then again it could just be that Must I wasn't nice. I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> I'm I glad you didn't deal with that I was mentally like mature enough to even understand like basics <laughs> or beyond the basics but um you know as people might know I come from a dancer background so I used to dance when I was a child competitively and I vividly remember there was this one competition, like a little extra thing that only me and my other friend were participating in. There were other people from other places, but only me and my friend that I knew of because we were chosen from our studio. And I remember us talking about, oh, like, who do you think's going to win? And she told me. I think you are going to win, but you only win because you're cute. And I was eight years old. <laughs> and um... I remember, yeah. And in that moment, like, it was like, all of a sudden, my brain had unlocked the next level of mental maturity. And I was like, what? And ever since then, my imposter syndrome had kicked in. So every time I won an award, even to this day, anytime <laughs> I've had an achievement, I'm like, did I actually win this because I deserved it? Or did I win it because, like, pity points or only because of this? Mm -hmm. And that especially happens within, like, the dance side of my life. Mm -hmm. Just because that's where it all started, I guess. Maybe that's how that works. But um, that is indeed how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like even this year, I, I won an award. 
for a dance, but that she that... deserved. <laughs> Thank you. But like, see, to me, I'm like, I don't even know if I deserve this. I only feel like I won it because like I did the final project when some other people just didn't because they didn't want to do. But that's a redeeming quality. Is it? The, okay, okay, it, it shows initiative. It. <laughs> it shows initiative. Listen, no, I'm getting into this. Rihanna's dance teacher, she's not her dance teacher's favorite. And so her dance teacher gives her favorite students more attention than Rihanna. But the thing is, Rihanna has high grades in dance. And so my opinion on it is that it's more of one of those things where she I guess doesn't want to or doesn't feel the need to give Rihanna attention, but she is aware that Rihanna is a strong dancer. You know what? I like that better. I think that makes sense. And also, I'm not I'm not tying things that you don't like into this, so I hope you agree with that. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. And also, you doing the final project, let's say that that's why you got the award, then she gave it to you because you put in the effort to do the final project. But then, okay, again, very impossible syndrome of that, me. Did, did every person that do the final project get the award? No. No, but some people that she likes way better than me slash arguably deserve the dance award more didn't do that final project. Well, then that's their problem. Why didn't they do the final project? Because who would want to do a final project? Well, yes, I agree. I, I also dislike doing homework, but that is not the point. It shows initiative. Thank you. I still... You know I'm what? aggressively Thank you. fighting your Thank you. dance imposter syndrome. Even though I've never been a competitive dancer. It sucks, but we can get but into that later. I'm objective. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Balancing you out. I hope y'all are enjoying this dynamic <laughs> of us fighting right now. Yeah, very passive aggressively. Passive? <laughs> okay. Even, okay, even, even in like um, academic settings, my brain would be like, how do I describe this? Because there's two, basically when I was younger, I split it up. So there was the dancer part of me and then there was like the school part of me. And so then in my brain- Okay, Hannah Montana. <laughs> the best of both worlds. More like the worst that. of both worlds. But anyways, <laughs> in a school setting, I would think like people would always praise me for being like a good dancer, stuff like that. Or like, it's cool. Like, yo, you dance, whatever. And in my brain, I'm like, oh, you know, people are only like that because I'm the only dancer here slash like one of the few. And then that, I feel like that makes more sense. It does. To but feel then, that way. Not that it's a good way to feel, but it makes more sense. Yeah, it does. But then on the flip side with my dancer friends, they would be like, oh, you're so smart. Like, help me with my homework type thing. But in my head, I'm like, I mean. I don't really think I'm that smart. I think they've just stereotyped me into being like the nerd. So I don't really think that my academic achievements are that impressive, you know? Mm -hmm. I then, get that because dancers are, tend to be more oh, presented as more extroverted people or their parents put them in dance because they're too fidgety. To oh, yeah. Their parents put them in dance to discipline them. <laughs> For me, my parents put me into dance because I was so quiet and they wanted me to become an extrovert. Mm -hmm. But and basically how did what that happened was I stayed an introvert, stayed incredibly shy, but now I'm a dancer. <laughs> That's it. I, I kind of like that. It's funny. You know, you did it your own way. I did. It's and been I a mean, little that long. Proves, <laughs> that proves that you don't have to be an extrovert to dance. Yeah. What about you, Tiffany? <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were done your story. No, I'm done. That's it. I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing it in the trash. Yeah. Because I grew up in a Chinese household, and I will just say Chinese culture because I haven't lived the experience of a different culture and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. There is this 
big emphasis on being humble. And one would think, okay, that's a good thing. Being humble is good. It's a good trait to have because if you're not humble, then you're the other side, which is annoying. Obnoxious. <laughs> or just full of yourself. Yeah. But a problem that I have noticed, I've come to notice, I guess, is that it leads to people feeling like they have to pretend to be humble or they have to say they disagree even if they don't. This isn't necessarily solely a Chinese trait because being humble or people feeling the need to be self-deprecating or feeling the need to disagree when someone compliments them, that just exists in society. But the thing with Chinese people is that when someone compliments you or something like that, it's almost like you're obligated, you're absolutely obligated to say, oh, where, what are you talking about? And I just feel that presence or that need much more strongly in this culture as opposed to North American, Western culture, per se. Mm -hmm. And so that affected me a lot growing up because I would feel, and the thing is, of course, I didn't know what imposter syndrome was or there was a word for it at the time, but I would feel the need someone complimented me. I'd be like, oh, no, it's not like that, or no, it's not that great, or it's not whatever even if maybe I did feel that way. And it comes that there are people that fake it. And when I say fake it, I, I don't mean the whole like fake it till you make it or whatever. There's people that pretend being humble. That exists globally. Mm-hmm. People that pretend to be humble so they seem like they're a better person, more human, and all the other good things, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I vividly remember this one experience I had that ties into this where I was having dim sum which we love dim sum come on yeah right and my family we bumped into someone that my dad used to work with and his wife and when we were bantering or having small talk the person that my dad used to work with his wife was asking me about school, kind of complimenting me and saying, oh, you must be very smart or you must be doing very well in school. And she would ask me questions like, oh, how well are you doing in school? Or are you doing well in your classes? Do your classmates think you're smart? Questions like that. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I answered very neutrally. I didn't say anything like, oh, no, I'm the dumbest person or I could never be the smartest. And I also didn't answer in a way where I was saying, yeah, I'm the smartest person in my class. Everyone knows that because both ends are very untrue. Yeah. I would say things along the lines of, oh, yeah, I mean, I get that sometimes. Some Sometimes people say I'm smart or, oh, I gotten an award here or there something like that i didn't really assign a specific value or emotion to it and i thought that was fine but at the end of the conversation or near the end she told me that i needed to be more humble oh my gosh and it wasn't stated as a joke she just said i needed to be more humble now the relationship that we have with each other is already, well, maybe not relationship, but my view of her and the person my dad used to work with isn't all that positive because they're not the best of people. I'll put it in that way. And so I kind of expected her to insult me anyway. I thought it was weird that she was complimenting me in the first place. I thought maybe she wanted to get something out of it. I don't know. Maybe she wanted to be seen as a good person. And So her saying that I needed to be more humble really confused me because I thought that I was being very neutral about things. And I I don't know if you can equate being neutral with being humble. But if you were to specifically look for whether or not I was being humble, I would say that I was closer to being humble than the other thing. Yeah, I 
from what I hear about this conversation, I agree. I feel like you were being humble just in general. And it just made me feel really weird because why are you giving, why are you complimenting me? Why I already originally thought it was weird, but then it wasn't as if I said something like what I said earlier where, oh yes, I'm the smartest in my class. Everyone knows this. I can see it or something like that. I was just saying, oh, yeah, I, I get that sometimes. Sometimes people say I'm smart or, yeah, I've gotten an award here or there. I didn't say I was the best. I didn't say I got every award, which I didn't, which is somewhat important to the content. Yeah. And so it was just a really odd experience for me. I strongly disagreed with the statement that she made, and I felt weird about it for the rest of the day. And I feel weird about it, talking about it now. I don't know why she acted the way she did. I don't know what she wanted to hear from me. I don't, what could I have said that would have satisfied her? Yeah. Do you think, do you think she would have wanted me to be extremely on the other end where I say, no, I'm stupid? I mean, from what I hear, it sounds like any answer you give would be the wrong answer. You I know? agree. <laughs> I feel like she would have been like, oh, like, why are you being so self-deprecating? Like, you need some confidence. Yeah. She would probably say that. She would probably say something like, oh, you should have more faith in yourself. Or she would maybe believe me and be like, oh, I guess maybe you're not that smart. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which, all right. Whatever, likely. <laughs> whatever helps you sleep at night. So that was something that affected me. But I, I wouldn't say it affected me in the sense that it made my imposter syndrome way stronger. But it just added to this weird criteria in this head, not in this head, in my <laughs> head. <laughs> in my head, where I felt like I had to act a certain way when something good happened or someone said something about me. Mm. And I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird combination of things because I had a similar experience to you about where you said you were the only dancer I like drawing and I am not saying this to be humble I'm not particularly gifted in visual arts I'm saying that objectively okay I will not comment <laughs> listen <laughs> And so it was kind of the uh, two-world thing where when we're in art school, people would think I'm more academically gifted. And then with quote-unquote regular people, they would think I'm, I said that very loudly. I apologize. I hope that didn't break anyone's ear immersion into the episode. But there was that two-world thing. But at the same time, I wasn't someone that got a lot of awards anyway. I did get some awards, but I, I wasn't someone that got a lot of awards. We kind of talked about awards in a past episode. And it's weird because I definitely experienced and to this day still sometimes deal with it where I feel as if maybe someone else should have gotten this or maybe I didn't deserve it. Because it's one of those things where sometimes you feel like you deserve something because you're hardworking or you think you have the skills, but then you have never or rarely ever get it. And so when you get it, you feel like something happened. Yeah. That led to that. There was a glitch or something else played into it. And so it was just a weird combination, not weird, but there's just a combination of a lot of things. There's this weird humble culture, this obligation to always downplay what you do. There's this two world thing where, okay, to, 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 to people that don't care about visual arts, I'm good. To people that care about visual arts, I'm smart, acad- traditionally academically. And then there's the time where I feel like I deserve something and then I get it and then I don't feel like it was natural Mm. and 
it's a lot. <laughs> it is. It's a lot to unpack here. And another part of it, it kind of ties in the humble culture. What you said earlier about the studies, about lack of positive reinforcement, that was something that I dealt with. My parents, I believe I've mentioned this before, where they think the least of me, but they expect the most of me. But the thing is, when I get things, they aren't excited at all. And so, in turn, I'm, I became much more neutral about my achievement. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess it also kind of just ties into the disparity between feedback received from the family versus feedback received from the outside world. Because there would be time where my parents didn't really care about an achievement I made, but then maybe my friends or just the outside world in general, they responded or reacted to it in a much more excited way mm-hmm. or sometime and this isn't a disparity where my parents wouldn't really care and then the world also wouldn't really care because I didn't get the thing or they mm. just didn't see me that way which is fine because I'm not the only person that exists in the world there's obviously people that are better or worse than me objectively mm-hmm. but I will say like I said earlier about this being a lot to unpack there's just a lot of experiences I've had and also the concepts and norms that came into it that made it so that I didn't know where I stood. And I don't want to say in life, but just in various fields or just in various things. Mm-hmm. And over time, and you kind of already saw elements of this, I have become much more objective and neutral about my experiences, which is both a good and bad thing. I try to be objective in the sense where if I am performing better than people, then okay, maybe there's a reason why. Maybe it is me because there's proof in the pudding or the proof in the numbers. Yeah. Of course, numbers don't represent everything because academically there's people that have learning disabilities and so they could be very quote-unquote smart but then it doesn't show on the transcript. Mm-hmm. But for my experience specifically, I try to do it objectively where I acknowledge, okay, I got the best mark in this class or I did well here in this contest, whatever. Okay, that's me. It has to be a little bit of me, right? That's just <laughs> how I think. And then the neutral thing, I'm trying. I'm trying to work on it. It's, neutral is good and bad because I'll be neutral in an objective sense, but then sometimes when something good happens, I'm still a little neutral. And Rihanna can vouch for this. She saw me do this in <laughs> in call their conversation. Mm. But I'm working on it. I mean, I get excited when things happen to me well good thing obviously you don't get excited when bad things happen (laughs) (laughs) at least I hope not and it's it's a long journey I feel like I've come a long way I used to let the whole humble culture play a lot into my life and so I was aggressively neutral to things that happened or didn't happen Mm. but now I at the very least if I get an email or I get a certificate, I just see something, I go, yay! Even if it's for five seconds. Yeah. I'm excited. And that is and a step up. Yes, I am proud of myself for that. <laughs> but yeah, if one thing or some things that help me put things into perspective is really numbers. I mean, for example, I one time I applied to this scholarship, and when I got it, I had thought, okay, then maybe it was kind of easy, because there were scholarships I applied to that I didn't get, which doesn't necessarily mean that there was, like, some weird thing that played into it. I mean, there could be. We won't, we don't know. We, like, the, the university systems, all these systems, there are systemic yeah 
off the gold. Questionable. Yes. And so when I got this specific one, it wasn't the only one I got, but when I got this specific one, I thought, okay, it was probably easier. I got it because of something that made it easier or whatever weird excuse I came up with. Mm. But, and we talked about this, um, the, the scholars or the group in general, we talked about this in a call one time where we're putting things into perspective because if you look into the pool, like the available pool of people that could have applied or just the scope of who it was available to and then the number that it boiled down to, it's not easy, for example. Yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that was hard. But I'll ta I'm taking it because you're technically right. No, you're, you're, okay, you're right. I am right. <laughs> so it could be a national scholarship that was open for the entirety of the country and then only, let's just say five people. This is an extreme. It wasn't five people. We'll just say five people got it. Well, what's the population of Canada? It's a large number. Yeah. Well, I guess it's not the population of Canada, the population of students in Canada. It doesn't matter. It's a very high number. And so when you boil down to it, the selection process, you were selected for a reason. Even if it was for diversity points or pity points, why did they choose you to pity instead of someone else, you know? Exactly. And so these things have helped me put it into perspective. I am proud of myself for no longer being as aggressively neutral or just on the other side of things when good things happen to me. And I can confidently say that imposter syndrome is now more a common cold in my life or like an allergy in my life <laughs> rather than a main ailment. Mm. If you are struggling with imposter syndrome, I think the first step is to put things into perspective. Because mm -hmm. when you look at the bigger picture of things and you take yourself out of the equation, per se, it's you realize that things are actually very impressive. Like, your achievements are very impressive. Even if it's out of five people or out of 5,000 people, you still got it. Mm -hmm. And a, a note that I I am saying not to play an imposter syndrome because you know what I said we said earlier about like privileges of COVID nineteen and how mm -hmm. some people do get advantages that lead to them getting something that someone else might have deserved. Yeah, this is not that. That is not yeah. imposter syndrome. That is privilege or some type of systemic obstacle that's playing there. Yeah, that's not me downplaying imposter syndrome. I think it's very easy for people to downplay themselves just because they are looking like critically at themselves. Mm -hmm. But again, like if you were to take your achievements and give them to someone else, like mentally, just thinking about it, I think it would be easier to say, oh, that's actually very like, that's impressive for that person. That's impressive mm -hmm. for someone else to do that. So why isn't it for yourself, you know? Agreed. If, and that's true for a lot of things. That could be beauty standards, things like that, because you see something. If it's on someone else or someone else has it, it's more impressive than when you have it. Because we're all very critical of ourselves. I mean, some people aren't. Yeah. <laughs> but... No one pays closer attention to you than yourself. You know, it's like when they say no one looks that closely at you when you're looking at yourself in the mirror. You know, no one yeah. sees you that way. And so it's important to take a step back and recognize. I mean, it's the first step is recognizing that you have imposter syndrome because for a lot of people, they think, oh, I couldn't have imposter syndrome. I just am an imposter, which... I hate to break it to you, but that's, <laughs> yeah. The first step is recognizing it, putting things into perspective. And it's really, it helps a lot to take a step back and look at things objectively rather than tying values to it. Mm -hmm. At least for me, if I don't 
attach. Oh, this is amazing. This is not amazing. And I look back and I just look at the numbers or something like that. It helps because, yeah. like I said, when you're critical of yourself, you don't really want to compliment yourself. So it's better if you just look at things as, oh, okay, so this thing went there instead of there. Think about it that way. I mean, the only person that you spend your whole life with is yourself, so. Yes. I was going to say agreed, but you can't really choose to agree or disagree with that. Yeah. Just a fact. <laughs> yep. And we're proud of you. Yes, we are. Whoever you are out there that's listening, we're proud of you. Of whatever achievement you have that you may be downplaying or not thinking highly enough about. Mm. We're proud of you. We think that's amazing. Yeah. And we think you're great. <laughs> and we're proud of each other. Yes, we are. Yes. Aggressively. Maybe a little too aggressively, but <laughs> we are. I mean... It makes up for the imposter syndrome, you know? For example, earlier when I was aggressively telling Rihanna about <laughs> her dance misconceptions or whatever you want to put call it, it's good to have that, you know? Yeah. And if you don't think have of, a person think about like how that... Think about how aggressively you support your friends when they win something over when you win something. Yeah, exactly. You should be your own friend as well. Be your own best friend. Not that you can't have a best friend, but you should also be your own best friend. Because yeah. like Rihanna said, or let the fact be known that <laughs> you spend your entire life with yourself. Or I guess yeah. that's the only person that you spend your entire life with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Finger snap for deep talk. No. <laughs> As always, and I will <laughs> continue saying this, Till the end of time, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> We're proud of you for tuning in. Yes. We're proud of you for seeing this title and thinking, maybe this applies to me. Because that's the first step. And so you should leave a comment about that. Or about anything else in the episode. Maybe you read one of the studies and you have some insight. Maybe you have a similar experience to Rihanna or myself. Or you have a different experience. Maybe you disagree with something. You can avoid that. You don't have to agree with us. This is a comment section going. (laughs) The free world. Yeah. In a sense. I don't know where I'm going with that. But you can leave a comment about your thoughts on the topic in general. Maybe you have experienced what I'm talking about. The whole humble culture in Chinese culture to be that was a little redundant but how did you feel about that have you experienced that have you seen that have you struggled with that are you a dancer do you draw do you dance and draw are you us <laughs> yeah us <laughs> was saying back in the episode be like yes I <laughs> this is everything but yeah we love to hear your thoughts your experiences like this episode and want to stay connected with us check out our website in the description it contains links to our streaming platforms such as spotify anchor apple Podcasts, and more follow us for more behind the scenes content announcements and other random things we decide to put on there see you next time bye, bye.